We're continuing our series, Back to the Basics, uh, where we're identifying the people and the places that God has put before us to where we can live missionally. As believers, if you're a believer here today, the mission of God is not left to pastors and missionaries, but God says it is for all of us. So as we look at the very basics of our faith, the attainable steps that God gives us to where every single one of us can make a difference in the world around us. We say here that our mission is to love God, love others, to help people find and follow Jesus. You see, we want to do much more than just hope people find and follow Jesus. So how can we genuinely and authentically help people find and follow Jesus? And if you've been here the last two weeks, you know that these are not incredibly hard steps. They're just very simple, basic things. The first week we said we begin with prayer. We simply begin by praying for people. I encouraged all of you uh, to have one to three people that you would commit to praying for, that you would see God work in their lives. I put together a list of three people uh, that I felt like needed, you, you know, just uh, God to intersect their path. And uh, without me orchestrating it in any way, since we've begun this series, I have run into all three of those people unexpectedly. And I'm still praying that God works in their life, but it's incredible to see. I was just thinking about it last night as I was laying in bed. All three of the people I've been praying for, I've run into over the last couple of weeks. So we begin with prayer. The next thing is we listen with care. We talked last week about simply listening to what people have to say, listening to what the Lord has to say. And today, eat together. We can all handle that, right? I mean, we're winning today if... The spiritual practice that God wants us to do is to eat. I mean, we can all handle that one, right? If that's part of the mission of God, sign me up. Because this may be a surprise to you guys, but I like to eat. I don't know about you guys, but I like to eat. I'm ready to eat right now because I can see the food that is sitting behind most of you. Most of us do like to eat. I mean, it's obvious we have whole television networks dedicated to eating. Countless TV shows that are dedicated to food and to eating. Businesses in every town and city across our country have been made on eating. As a matter of fact, the very building that we share right here is with a catering company. 30 years of providing eating for people, food for people. There are e even, as you guys know, eating competitions, competitive leagues where people eat for a living, where they are sponsored by other people to eat. You guys have all probably heard of the hot dog eating contest, the hamburger eating contest. There are also, I looked this up, pie eating contest, pancake eating contest, chicken wing eating contest pizza, ribs. There's also some stuff that gets a little bit weirder. There's asparagus eating contests. There are whole turkey eating contests. Raw onion eating contests. You can even go to Austin and compete in a vegan hot dog eating contest. So don't feel left out, you vegans here today. 
I think we all understand not only is food nutritional for us, but there is a relational element that comes when we share a meal with people. It's not about the food. It's about the table. And not about, when I say the table, not the piece of furniture, but the connection that we make with each other over food. Now, when I say it's not about the food, I'm not saying that homemade enchiladas ever hurt anything. I mean, that still helps, but food is just the tool that opens up the door for connection. The table is just about what happens around the table. When we celebrate milestones in life, birthdays, anniversaries, often they involve a table and food and time spent with those that we love. When somebody has a child, when somebody's sick, oftentimes we bring food as an act of love to serve one another. Even in some of our darkest moments, when we grieve the loss of those that we love, in the background is the food and the table that we share. You see, food is a common denominator that links all of us. It opens the door for relationship. I don't necessarily remember all the meals that we've had at our house, not saying that my wife's meals aren't absolutely memorable, but what I do remember is the time that we've spent together as a family over the years where we've laughed and shared together as a family. I can even remember from my own childhood, the wonderful meals that my mom would make and the time that we would spend around our kitchen bar eating meals together. Statistically speaking, you guys are probably well aware of this, but statistics show that when families spend time around a table together, it dramatically increases a child's stability and odds of success in the future. And again, it's not about the food. It's not about the piece of furniture. It's about the relationship that happens. We know scripturally that Jesus made it a point over and over and over again to share a table with others. As a matter of fact, we did a whole series on this about a year ago where the table became a pulpit for Jesus. The meal became an opportunity to present the gospel to others. We see in Jesus' day that he spent meals with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, He also committed social atrocities by sharing a meal with prostitutes and sinners and lepers and Pharisees. His first miracle was at a wedding feast as he turned the water into wine. We're all familiar when he fed the 5,000. He turns the loaves and the fish and multiplies them to feed everyone. The night before his crucifixion, he's in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal where they share the Last Supper. And even as Jesus is resurrected from the dead and the disciples are distraught, not knowing what they're going to do with their lives, they go out and do what they've always done. They go back to fishing and Jesus meets them on the shore side with a campfire and fish on the grill. Says, let's eat together. And let's discuss this. Eating was a big deal 
in the Jewish culture in Jesus' day. It was how they connected in so many ways. It's that way in our culture too, although I think it's a little bit different in our culture. Sometimes we don't value it necessarily the way that they valued it because in our culture we're in a hurry, right? Most of us have been guilty of eating a meal, getting it through a drive-through, on the road, while steering with our knees, right? Because we just have to consume it quickly. Sometimes we don't value it the way they did in Jesus' culture. In Jesus' culture, to share a meal with someone was an affirmation of who they were and what they meant to you. It carried relational weight. Who you ate with, we see scripturally, was a statement Of who you loved. It was a statement of your social status even. That's why it was absolutely shocking. To the religious elite. Who are listening and watching Jesus. As he's saying all the right things. But yet it's a little bit too far. It's a little bit offensive. And they're listening and watching. And what does Jesus do? Jesus shares a table. He shares meals with the most despised people of their day. It just didn't compute in their minds. Here's a man who says he is from God, and there are miraculous things happening around him that we can't deny, yet how could he be from God if he shares a table with those people? Because those people are obviously Not from God. It doesn't add up from their perspective. Matthew, who writes the gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First book of the New Testament. He is, in fact, one of those people. That was absolutely despised by society. Now, that doesn't necessarily add up to our minds right off the bat. But the fact was, Matthew, although we hold him in high reverence, was a tax collector. And in that day, that was the most despised occupation that you could take. Because what it meant was, you sold out your own people to take as much money as you could under the authority of the Roman government. The Roman government held the the Jewish people under oppression. And they would tax them, exceedingly tax them. But they wouldn't do it themselves. They would hire people to do their dirty work for them. That was tax collectors. And that is who Matthew was. His own people despised him. His family and his friends would have had to distance themselves from him. Even the Roman government looked down upon him. He was a person who, for financial gain, sold everybody out. And Jesus comes up to him one day as he sets up his booth to pick everybody's pocket and take these unwarranted taxes from people. And Jesus walks up to him one day and says, follow me. Now, this would have been an invitation that a rabbi would have given an apprentice The the most shining students of religious studies, a rabbi would say, this one holds a lot of potential. I want you to be my apprentice. Come and follow me. And Jesus shows up to this despised 
person. He says, come follow me. Be my disciple. And Matthew agrees. His world changes in this moment as Jesus stands face to face and extends a hand to him and says, follow me. And we see that the first thing that Matthew does is he goes home and he prepares a table. He prepares a feast and he invites Jesus and his disciples and he invites all of his other tax collector friends because you see the tax collectors could only really hang out with themselves. The Bible often lumps tax collectors and sinners into this category. People who were looked down upon as basically untouchable in that society. They would come together and Matthew would invite them for a feast. Matthew writes about this in his own gospel in the book of Matthew. I can just imagine as he was writing it, what must have come up in his heart as he thought of that moment when Jesus turned his life around. Here's what he writes beginning in verse 9 of chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciple, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When, they heard, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Healthy don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices for i have come to call those who think they are right, not to call those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners jesus invites matthew to follow him and matthew turns around and invites him to share a table with him the first thing jesus does is it's not he shows up and says okay now here's the things that you need to get straight in your life so that you can follow me. Here's five steps to being a great Christian. The first thing that Jesus and Matthew do is share a table and share a meal. This is Jesus looking past all of Matthew's faults and saying, you are welcome at the table that I eat at. You are accepted. Something that he wasn't told by anybody else in that society. The passage says that Jesus ate the tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were totally offended by this. They pulled the disciples aside and say, how in the world, if he really is of God, how could he eat with those people. And we see in the scripture that Jesus hears what they say. And he responds to them. Says it's not the sick that need. It's not the, the healthy that need a doctor. The sick do. Because you see the Pharisees were the religious people. Who were so 
focused and so busy trying to make themselves look good and holy. And Jesus is saying to them, you're missing the point altogether. Jesus was on a mission to help people find and follow him. And the Pharisees just didn't get it. We see this happen over and over again in Scripture where Jesus opens up his acceptance and his love and shares a table with people who would not be worthy at his table. He invites the tax collectors and the sinners. I mentioned in the announcements that uh, Al Hasler is hosting our Steaks and Stogies event this Friday night. And if you've ever wondered why we have an event called Steaks and Stogies, well, let me just tell you, Al Hasler is a tax collector. <laughs> not, not literally, not just because he's an attorney. Uh, Al is a man who didn't know Christ. But one day he ran into Christ who said, come follow me. And he understands that opening up his home to share a feast with all the other tax collectors and sinners to say, I've met a man who's worth following. That's what this is about. So all of you guys, I encourage you to come Friday night if you're available and invite all the tax collectors, sinners, all the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law that you know so that they can come. That's what this is all about. Jesus would be criticized for this over and over again. We see in Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 34 and 35, it says, The Son of Man, that's a name for Jesus, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow him. You see, Jesus understood that when we share a table with other people, that it's an opportunity to share how our lives have been changed. Now, I understand you may not feel like a missionary or a pastor. You may not feel like you have all the right words to say. But sometimes it's as easy as sharing a refreshing cup of water with somebody a home-cooked meal, a warm cup of coffee, just to connect with people. And God can use that to transform lives. Author Henry Nowen writes this, When we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. When we say, help yourself, take some more, don't be shy, have another glass, we offer our best not only food and drink, but also of ourselves. A spiritual bond grows and we become food and drink for one another. Now, I'm no real estate expert, but I've watched enough HGTV to know that the kitchen makes a big difference in our homes, especially if you're looking to sell your home. The kitchen is significant. What do we do in a kitchen? We prep a meal. We cook a meal, right? But what that really leads to 
is the connection, the relationship that builds, the gathering of people that happens in the kitchen. You see, somebody comes over to your house and maybe you've got a ring doorbell so you don't even open the door. But if we do open the door and maybe it's somebody we recognize, we may visit in the entryway because the relationship's only that deep. If the relationship's a little bit deeper, we may sit down on a, on a sofa and visit for a little bit. But when we get into the kitchen where we prop ourselves up on the counter or sit on a stool and begin to eat together. It opens up the door for relationship. In the New Testament, there's a Greek term uh, that is essential to the mission of believers, and that is koinonia. That's where we get our word for fellowship, being on mission together. And oftentimes, It is the shared life where we do things like eat together. This concept would grow throughout first century society as the church begins to grow. Now their culture was different from our culture, but yet in many ways it's still similar. In their culture, they had a lot of political tension. There was elitism, the haves and the have-nots. There was segregation that they had to deal with. But yet we see within those who believed, they would share a table together and none of that mattered. We see this in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions, shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity." All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to the fellowship of those who were being saved. Again here in this passage, it's not the meal that changed people's lives. But the meal was in the background as a tool to open the door to help them live on mission together. There's another author named Alan Hirsch who writes a lot about the mission of the church and the mission of believers. And this is what he says. Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited neighbors, strangers, and the poor into their homes for a meal, we would literally change the world by eating. As believers, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. And I think sometimes we just make it too complicated. Begin with prayer. God, we're asking you, could you move in these people's lives? We're bringing them 
to you. Listen with care. We're listening to God and we're listening to the voice of our community and to others. And then eat together. Listening and eating together go very well, by the way. Gives us an opportunity to listen to others. We had our men's sup group the other night. Uh, We met for burgers and again, it wasn't about the food. It's about the opportunity to listen to one another. When we put these things into the rhythm of our lives, we're on a good track to live in the mission of God. Begin with prayer, listen with care, and eat together. When we do that, Rock Hills, let's watch what God can do. We're going to put this into practice today. Here in just a moment, I'm going to close this in prayer, and we're going to roll out some tables and move the chairs to the side, and then put them around the tables. And I want to invite all of you to stick around and share a table. We've got food. Even if you don't want some food, stick around and have a cup of coffee or a cup of water or hot tea with us. And we're going to put it into practice here so that we can put it into practice out there later, so that we can use the meal and the table to make a difference in our world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gifts and the resources that you have given us. We thank you, Father, that you can take something as enjoyable as a delicious meal. Father, and that you can use that in our lives to shine the light of Christ to those who need it. Father, would you give us opportunities in the days ahead? to share a cup of coffee or a meal with those who need to know that they are accepted by you. Father, from everybody, from the despicable sinner to the religious Pharisee, Father, would you give us an opportunity to show the love of Christ? Father, I pray for those that are here today. They're just beginning or ready to begin in their walk with you. Lord, help us to be the body to one another, to help each other begin that walk with Christ. We can all take that first step again or for the first time today, praying a simple prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender all that I am to you. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. But Lord, you invite me to follow you. So God, today, I choose to follow you. Would you forgive me of my sins and make me a new creation? Would you be my Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.